Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Oh, nice. Ricky's computer, when we start the recording, like skips out for like 10 seconds. We have to wait for it to catch up. But yours doesn't. I had like a tiny sound lag when I was doing stuff. Recording on my end between like my lips and the audio, but hopefully it's not bad. All right. We're ready. All right. Three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Hour here on SportsGrid TV. You also might be listening to this on the Going for the Green Daily Roto Fantasy Golf Podcast. I'm Davis Maddock, joined today by Colin Drew. We are breaking down the the return to real golf. There has been golf, but, um, you know, of all the things during quarantine, during isolation, during COVID that made me feel like a D-Gen, it was, um, it was getting money down on the <laughs> Outlaw Tour contest where... I mean, the fact that the Outlaw Tour contests were not outwardly rigged by someone who had, you know, thousands of dollars on the line, you know, paying these guys off when first place is like $4,000. Like, it, it feels like daily fantasy players weren't hustling hard enough, Colin. <laughs> right? It was like 5K to first for that actual Outlaw tournament, but you could win a showdown slate for 50K. Uh, the sweat was a little tough, too. No live scoring. So I'm, I'm glad to be back. A lot's changed since we talked last. I had a kid. We've been quarantined for three months uh Hideki is no longer winning the players but it's it's good to be back man oh what a what a what a brutal outcome that was too for some of the showdown guys I know that uh some of our buddies had mass exposure to Hideki who set the course record but the showdown scores didn't even count because the round wasn't official so everyone just got refunded very tough breaks the last time we saw professional golf yeah I mean touting 101 like you basically have to say that you had tons of exposure to Hideki right Nobody, I nobody ran so I, worse. I, I was fine with the cancellation. Not not in showdown, not in week long. Um, but we are we are back. Uh, we are going to be attacking the Charles Schwab Challenge uh, at Colonial Golf Club. Uh, it is uh, this this you would be described as an old man's track. But before we even get into you know specific plays, DraftKings salary, betting anything, I I want to tackle one thing, which is that your favorite tout of golf is going to be able to use the COVID isolation to support any point that he or she wants to make, right? So, you know, Xander and Sungjae, those guys are the range rats, so they've been they've been getting after it. But, you know, Finau has seven kids, and, uh, you know, he probably hasn't been having, like, his nannies and stuff over, so he's been being a dad. Like, there are just a million different ways you can shake it. So my guiding light for the Charles Schwab Invitational, the, the fir- very first thing is, is just, like, long-term form, like, last 24 months. And everything else is going to be pretty extraneous to that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the right way to play it. Uh, there are tons of narratives, like you said, that you can spin up, whether guys have been practicing. Maybe if you're a Republican, you're more willing to take on COVID than if you're you know, a liberal living in the Northeast. Davis, in two weeks, I'll be back with some more measured takes. I'll tell people to be responsible with their bankroll. But this week, I'm going to degen the yeah. Millie Maker. I'm yep. going to spin up some narratives, and we're going to get after it. So there are, I mean, there are a couple of reasons why I think that's good. The first is I think that 
because there's going to be way less consensus chalk because people don't have, you know, recent form to focus on. They don't have, you know, guys who have won or, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, like, let's say like Ricky's on some good run heading into colonial where he's had like three top tens or something like all of that, all of that recency bias that does drive so much of people's decision-making is, I think we're just not going to see a ton of guys like over 30% in these contests, maybe even not over 25%. I think there's going to be a real opportunity to take stands, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think what I've noticed from some of the other sports I've been playing during the the quarantine and the COVID stuff is just uh, like projections and optimizers are driving a lot of the ownership because people who aren't used to playing the sport are jumping into these big prize pools for the first time. And so a lot of the places with like large public followings, and we definitely have that for golf, but um, that stuff can drive ownership as well. So if you know somebody's not popping in projections, there's not really a narrative, I think, that's going to make him super popular. Um, and so it'll be pretty interesting. It, it is yeah. a loaded field this week, though. I'm so yeah. I'm excited so, about that. That is that is huge. So another thing is, you know, people are going to talk about, uh, you know, course history here, how guys have done here, their results at this specific golf course, this specific event. This is generally w- what bottom 20th percentile on tour in terms of field strength. And um, they mentioned on the Pat Mayo show that this is basically in terms of where these guys rank on official world golf rankings. This is basically like a WGC event or or a FedEx Cup event in terms of field strength. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a loaded field and we can get right into the odds to win the Charles Webb Challenge and like Rory McIlroy at eight to one, uh, John Rahm at twelve to one, Justin Thomas at sixteen to one. Those guys are kind of priced clearly ahead of the field, and it is loaded. But there are tons of other big names, tons of notable names. It's hard to tease out. It usually is bottom twentieth percentile field strength, upper tenth percentile as far as degree of difficulty. But how much of that is directly linked to the field strength versus the course itself? That's going to be something that's really interesting this week. And then yeah, there's some mid tier guys, including your boy. Yeah. Uh, so this is a like typical. This is like an old man track, right? This is a place where you're like, oh, Steve Stricker can uh, can make the cut. These dudes are going to be able to wedge their way around the course and you know make a lot of up and downs. And you know, first off, that that might be true. But second of all, uh, I mean, distance is going to overpower those things in general. But we also have not seen a ton of these guys who are out here overpowering this golf course playing. Like, I don't actually know if Rory has ever played this event before. Yeah, I don't think he has in the last decade. I didn't dive too much further back, and it is the first time for many of these guys uh, seeing the course. They're not necessarily, I guess they'll see it as far as practice rounds, but it's not like they were flying out weeks in advance to prep for this, you know? Yeah, I mean, most of these guys, if they have been playing, they have been playing their home golf courses, right? So wherever, wherever, you know, wherever it is that they that they live close. And there are a couple guys in this event. I, I think it's Webb's home course. Uh, I think this is the one where he plays most often. But, you know, a lot of these guys have probably either not been playing, been playing on the range. Like, they haven't played a serious competitive round of golf in three months. Yeah, yeah I think the Wyndham Championship is usually Webb's darling. But, um, you know, the, we got Webb and Bryson are both at 25 to 1. Kepka 28 to 1. Patrick Reed and DJ at 30 to 1. And then some of the other notable names, maybe guys that haven't been playing as well recently, but obviously really big with the casual fans are Ricky Fowler at 35 to 1, Jordan Spieth at 45 to 1, and Justin Rose at 50 to 1. It is a really star studded field. Just off the bat, I wanted to to hear who you like as far as outright bets. I think Justin Thomas is the best value as far as those top three guys, if I had to bet one of the top end. But uh, I think that Colin Morikawa is probably my favorite kind of mid tier bet at 50 to 1. That's slightly longer shot. He's number one in the field in strokes and approach and over the last hundred rounds. And like you said, 
the the course does take driver out of the hands of these guys a lot. So that's an area that he's sort of average at. And I think he doesn't get penalized as much in this course. So I think at 50 to one, he's a decent value. And then if you want to spin a narrative around that, he's a younger guy. He doesn't have kids like he can be out there practicing and grinding. So uh, a little narrative as a checklist on top of a guy I think is a decent value already. So there are a couple guys that I bet who are not short in this event at all. So I bet um, three different guys who are uh, shallower than 100 to 1, and it's JT at 16 to 1, Xander at 28 to 1, and Bryson at 22 to 1. JT just felt too deep to me. Like, it, it seemed like he should probably be second in the betting instead of third. But, like, I, I would take... Um, I would take Justin Thomas on a course where you can't use driver on every like every par four and every par five straight up over John Rom, and you can get him for cheaper on DraftKings. You can get him for cheaper in the betting markets. So I really like that. Xander, uh, I'm going to invoke my tout right to uh, to use whatever narrative that I so choose in this event, and uh, I'm going to say Xander total range rat. You know he was one of the guys when golf stopped who was like man this sucks like my whole life revolves around professional golf so he was uh i i just have a feeling of of guys in this field xander very likely to have you know not gotten rusty in his swing yeah i think that's great and obviously if you guys are trying to get into fantasy golf for the first time this week maybe you play other sports you usually do in baseball in the summer so you don't have time uh daily roto has got a lot of stuff covered for you we've got pga projections for DraftKings, FanDuel, yahoo We'll have ownership projections, of course, to optimize your access. Uh, pro tip written by yours truly. A GPP strategy guide, which I wrote at the beginning of the season. I think it's really worth refreshing on, especially with these Millie Maker type events. And then if you do want to get a discount, we've got the promo code SPEETH25 for 25% off either a golf uh, monthly package or if you want to send it for the year, you can get 25% off the full year just for this week. It's a big welcome back. So definitely, definitely do that. Uh, I would not, I would not be punting money off willy nilly this week without taking advantage of that uh, discount. But I need to give my standard Bryson caveat, which is uh, any course that's widely available on a simulator. I don't know who could have a bigger advantage than Bryson. He he could have played this course every single day on his simulator over the last month. You know, there there literally is nothing stopping Bryson from knowing how everything on this course functions, and uh, also you know, doesn't hurt a guy like Bryson to have had the time off and, and work on his swing, right? You know, he's been out there. Literally, the guy has like a lab to practice his golf swing. Like, I, I feel very confident Bryson's game is in a good spot right now. It, it is interesting. I mean, I think when you saw Tiger's set up before the match with his like home sim, you're like, wow, some of these dudes that are loaded have incredible practice setups. And some of the other guys who are grinders or maybe newer to the tour probably don't have that same setup. Um, But those guys might be hungrier. So, there's always a narrative to combat the narrative with Bryson. It's tough. Like he's been bulking up and that's been a huge strength, like best player off the team in the world so far this season, that's going to be negated a bit. So, you know, for every narrative you spin up in Bryson's favor, I, I feel like I can spin one against him. Um, I think he's more of a DFS play than a bet for me. Oh, no, no. I mean, Bry we're, we're, we're coming back in and Bryson's going to win. That's the, it's the most poetic way for, uh, for this to happen. Okay. Some of the guys I bet, deeper um and i just want you to tell me if you think these are good or bad Corey connor's 150 to 1 so basically under the assumption that a lot of old dudes are going to be pittering around this golf course connor's going to have the ability to like i mean he's going to be putting for birdie a ton yeah yeah i i think that one's okay i don't love it but it seems fine okay this one this guy just seemed way too deep for me rafa cabrera bale also at 150 to 1 like there are there are golfers at this event who are 
way shallower than 150 to one who like don't have half of Rafa Cabrera Bayo's you know career uh, performance and accomplishments. Yeah, he's a guy that's tough to figure out. Like with models, it's gonna be tough um, to catch up with him. You don't have any short term form for these guys. And anecdotally, it feel, he feels like the guy who can go super low. Uh, also feels like the guy that, you know, he, he could come out and miss a cut. wouldn't be surprised. Um, one of the guys that I thought on DraftKings Sportsbook was a huge value is Brian Stewart, 750 to one. I don't think you can get it better than like 250 at other sports books. And so on that alone, you know, you're getting a pretty decent price. I think data golf makes them like 350 or 400 to one. So, uh, if it is a short knockers track, then that's definitely the, the only type of course that Brian Stewart can really win on. Definitely not a guy that you expect to win the event, especially with the loaded field, but, Felt like uh, 750 to one is like I could punt five dollars off in worse ways. OK, I just bet him at uh, I just bet him at 500 to one on uh, on my book. So you certainly you certainly. Uh, I mean, look, we're, we're getting golf back. The the absolute worst case scenario is you bet you bet a bunch of guys, you know, top fives, top 20s, whatever. And you're sitting there on Sunday and your DFS teams are dead and you don't have anything to sweat. Like, like that is absolute worst-case scenario. Oh, these so, showdown pools are going to be huge, too. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that uh, round four showdown is going to be massive. But, I mean, DraftKings Draft was filling, you know, $100,000 guaranteed prize pools for Outlaw Tour. So I don't think, I don't think there's any way that we could, uh, you know, estimate that these are going to be smaller. And also, I think they're going to be softer because there are going to be a lot of people who are either, you know, not playing with the Daily Road Optimizer or not playing with projections at all. And if they're not playing with projections, obviously, those lineups are going to be worse. But huge question we have to answer. You know, is there a chance that this gets shut down at some point, right? This is the big question to ask about basketball, about hockey, about soccer that's going on over in Europe right now. Like, what are they doing with COVID testing to ensure that uh, we're just going to get to keep seeing professional golf? Yeah. So, I mean, is there a chance that the tour isn't able to play every future tournament? I think there is a chance if there's like an outbreak in a local community. Is there a chance this event gets canceled in the middle of it? I, I really don't think so. No like way. Point one percent. As far as like the COVID testing plan, the, uh, the impact that it could have on golf. So basically what these players are doing, they're taking a pre-travel at home test. And that seems like it's like a saliva-based test, um, something that's a little bit basic. And then upon arrival, they're getting tested at the local level with like the more rigorous, like those intense swab tests. And then they'll have all of that before they, you know, even show up at the course, the practice facilities and whatnot. And then on a day-to-day -day basis, there's questionnaires and temperature screenings for the players, the caddies, and anybody who's working the event. I, I think it seems plausible that someone pops up with a temperature and like if that happens, they might have to WD from the event, even if it's not COVID related. It seems Absolutely. very possible that that happens. But as far as actually canceling the event, it seems like an extremely unlikely thing where there's a, a huge outbreak, especially given the amount of pre-testing that they're doing. I mean, yeah, insane run bad is, you know, uh, Colin Morikawa shows up on Saturday sitting, you know, T2 or whatever. And he's running like a 101 degree fever. Yeah. And and the and the and the guys are like, you know, we can't have you. You know, we can't have you touching the flagstick. We can't have you out there, you know, next to Rory or whatever. And uh, they, they like that. He just doesn't even have the choice. He has to withdraw. Yeah. So, I mean, those are definitely some of the considerations. Obviously, the, the COVID stuff is uh, very impactful. There's also like international travel is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot. I think that like the guys, there are European tour players who are in this field, um, but you basically had to come over quarantine for 14 days, I believe. And so it'll be it just changes the the makeup of golf in general because 
these like like Matthew Fitzpatrick, Justin Rose, Roy McIlroy, like they, they can't back and bounce back and forth between the PGA Tour and European Tour. And so I think for the most part, like the European Tour players that you do see over here are going to be the guys that you see over here for the next few weeks. Um, and so that's another thing I think that's really interesting. And then obviously there's a lot of like personal family or financial situations that can you can spin narratives around as well. Really hard to account for somebody like Mark Leishman, whose wife had battled a serious illness. Someone like Gary Woodland, who's got twins, young kids. And then like you have Adam Hadwin, who came out and was basically said that he wasn't motivated to practice. So to that extent, I do think it's a week where possibly like qualitative information, listening to player interviews, trying to figure out who's been playing, uh, who's been practicing. That stuff could actually add legitimate value, whereas many weeks, I think it just kind of distracts from the process. Well, and also knowing guys who can come in and play well cold. And there, uh, you know, there's there's obviously there's one guy who we know who can come back from playing, you know, just literally like having not played or having not touched a club for months and come in and win. And that's uh, that's one Mr. Jason Day, who like, I mean, this guy is literally the king of he he never practices. Uh, also, our boy Brooks Kepka, though, I, I think some of the uh, oh, you know, golf is easy and I don't try that hard stuff with uh with Brooks is sort of interesting because I, I think it's mostly like a lie. I think he just was, you know, sort of being a hardo, and I would imagine he's been practicing a ton. Yeah, some stuff with him did come out too over the break where the the injuries that he kind of went through with his knee were more serious than he was letting on and something that he said he's still not fully recovered from. And so I think that's why you see him, you know, priced more reasonably in the betting markets. He's not not a favorite anymore. Um, but Definitely I mean, this stuff. is the cheapest yeah. Brooks has been since he became Brooks, right? Both both on DraftKings and in the betting market. Like he he even at you know the Honda or whatever he would be, uh, you know one of the most expensive guys in the field, and he's just uh, he's not priced that way right now at all. Yeah, this is like a two years ago price for him for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, are we ready? Are we ready to get in DK by price range? Uh, yeah, I mean we should talk about the course a little bit. Obviously, Colonial Country yeah. Club. Part 70, 7,200 yards. Uh, we talked about the difficulty a little bit and the field strength. But for me, I, I think the, the course fit was something you touched on briefly as far as it being like a, an old man track. But I wanted to get into that. It under indexes severely in driving distance. So relative to other courses, it all but takes a driver out of the equation. Obviously, driving the ball still matters. But uh, I do think that is something to think about, especially for guys that are one-dimensional. Maybe their only good asset is driving the golf ball. That's not something that they're going to be able to get away with here. And so you see around the green matter a lot more. You see approach matter more. Around the green is a really noisy stat. So I think that could also lead to some randomness with the winners. Um, and, you know, I, I think it makes it so that some of these top end players are a little bit, um, maybe a little bit overpriced. But uh, the biggest course fit guys relative to their own personal baselines that I found in the data golf data as I was researching this were, listen to this list. Jim Furyk, Steve Stricker, Zach Johnson, Kevin Na, and Matt Kuchar. How perfect is that? Yeah, I mean, it's literally, it, it's the 265 down the fairway, 155-yard uh, iron, 8-foot putt, make the 8-foot putt. Like, that's, like, it's it's literally like uh, like municipal golf that you would go and play at your track when you get off of work on Thursday for men's league. Like, that's the type of golf that's going to do, like, that has historically done well here, basically. So... Um, obviously those aren't the best players in the field, but relative to their personal strength, they're getting the biggest boost. So yeah, we can, let's get into this DraftKings pricing. So everything we just said basically goes against the guy who's at the head of the, the betting markets, the guy who's at the head of the field. And my 
early read on this situation, Drewby, is that because people are talking, you know, you know, Kevin Na won this last year. Everyone is is you know, everyone knows that this is a a short hitters course. People are going to be thinking, well, like, why why am I jamming in Rory when you know a short a short but accurate hitter like Webb might actually profile better for the course? Not realizing that when courses are shorter, Rory is going to be even closer to the hole, right? Rory's shots are going to be even easier. And he's going to have even, and to my reading, even more birdie chances. Like I, I think you could get overweight on Rory by like playing like thirty-five percent of him, which interests me greatly. Oh yeah, I, I think he definitely get over overweight with thirty-five percent. Um, I think we've got him around twenty percent as far as projected ownership right now. I actually think that's a little bit high. Now there are only a few guys priced up above that ten thousand dollar mark, uh, but I think if you just run like run an optimizer and you see Rory kind of popping like 10 to 15% of lineups. And I could see that being like a landing spot for Rory. Uh, he's still the best player in the world. He's still the best player in the field. So I think even though the driver is not gonna be able to help him out as much, it's still like, it's not like he's a top 10 player in the field as far as like approach around the green. It's not like he's one dimensional. Like you're not talking, I, I guess I worry like more with, I don't I mean, Rom than I do with Rory as far as like yeah. the overall strength of the game. Yeah, where Rom sort of does need to be able to overpower a golf course relative to what other people are doing. Like in his best events, that's typically been, you know, the the connection, right? Where it's just been, it's just been he's absolutely been able to, you know, make make eagles on par fives, you know, drop birdies on four hundred and fifty yard par fours, and that is not going to like it's just not going to suit him as well here. Yeah, but, yeah. And I, th I think I just think back to some of these uh, previous events. Rory obviously hasn't played here before, but he shows up to RBC Heritage sometimes, and he always goes off low owned at RBC Heritage, which is another course that gets you know talked up as being like a course that favors shorter hitters because it does. And so I think Rory is going to end up a good play, especially in the Millie Maker, um, and especially because this course doesn't yield a ton of birdies. We don't know how they'll set it up, but typically it doesn't, and so that means that the finish points will matter. Quite a bit. So in the Millie Maker, I think that Rory is a good leverage play. He's probably my favorite play above $10,000 in that GPP format, whereas I think Justin Thomas probably presents the best overall value above $10,000. Yeah, I am MMEing this week for sure. And of the guys who are over $10,000, Rory, Rom, JT, and Bryson, I will be... I will be building, I would assume, a huge chunk of my lineups with at least one of Rory and Bryson, right? Where I will just be trying to have those guys anchor a lot of lineups and obviously probably try and have some like, small subset of those lineups so, with both Rory and Bryson. So can I talk you into any concerns about Bryson? Obviously, literally, like, no, impossible. Awesome player off the tee, <laughs> best player in the world this season. But like over the last 100 rounds, he's he's like, Barely inside the top 50. Yeah. Mega approach. Mega donk with his wedges. It's not good. It, it, yeah. it feels like it's not a Bryson course. So what if what if Bryson has just spent all this time off just like, you know what? It's really holding it's really holding me back that uh, that I have been unable to, uh, you know, really convert a ton. Or, you know, when I when I miss fairways, my scrambling stuff is way worse than everyone else. I, and he's just been in his like, backyard with the wedges. I feel like Bryson's a long term thinker, though, and he knows off the tee is where it's at. So I think Bryson's staying the course. Uh, if he, he shows up yoked on the driving range, then I think it's probably not a week for me. I'd probably rather go down to Webb Simpson. Talk about a course where, like, getting the driver out of their hands helps them a little bit uh, or out of these other guys' hands. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Webb, he's been playing. He was playing phenomenal. Um, 
and you know top 10 inside basically every metric except strokes and aptitude so uh, i like webb quite a bit he's a really good anchor for balanced roster builds this week he seems like the favorite to be the most owned player in the field and um I know that that's worked out for a lot of people in the past. We're just like you, you ride chalk web and he just, he rolls in his T four and he gets a streak every single day. And, uh, you know, that's great. But I, I, this is a spot where I will be taking my leverage, uh, misguided or not. That is, uh, that is my current plan. And I, I reserve, I reserve the right to change my mind on that, but that's what I'm thinking right now. Yeah. I would say I do have web as basically twice the ownership of Bryson. So, like 10% versus 20 in the early run of things, and twice the ownership of Kepka, 10 versus 20 there as well. Uh, I don't think people are really, you know, I could see him playing Bryson. I could see him playing Kepka. I just don't think they're going to get super excited about it. There's, there's not enough meat, especially for Kepka. People love to play at like the majors and talk that theme up. I think there's not like enough that could like steam Kepka. Um, so like Webb, Xander, both around 20% owned, I think are probably like the the most popular players as we transition into that sort of secondary range. Yeah, I think that is likely to be true. And how how strange is it to be getting ready to play a PGA DFS event and see not only not you know not only is uh Dustin Johnson not the most expensive player in the field, he's less expensive than Brooks, less expensive than Xander and not even a clear slam dunk at 9500. Yeah, so I was going to ask, did you watch, uh, like, did you watch the match? Did you watch any of the other charity events? And are you putting any stock into some of the stuff that you've seen there? There have been those events, and then there have been some sort of less popular ones that weren't televised, uh, like Scheffler winning in Texas with the charity challenge there. Data Golf has actually put the Texas event into the projections, feeding it in like a normal event, um, but doesn't really weigh anything as far as the match and what, you know, DJ played. Um. I did watch the match. I did not watch much of the driving relief at all. I, I mean, it, not that I, I thought it was stupid or anything, but I, I think you're. I think that's where you're starting to look at qualitative data and uh, and being like, you know, there just is not really the right way to contextualize any of this. And I, if you were gonna do that though, you know, DJ did not play particularly well in um, you know, in that subset of events. So that would probably be a little bit concerning, but. Dustin is, I mean, he's probably a guy I'm going to end up playing because I don't have any interest in playing Ricky. Um, if you're if you're building off of uh, qualitative data, do you think anyone practiced more during this break than Sungjae? Can you think of Can you think of one guy who's been on the range harder than Sungjae? Got to be, got to be. No, he's got to be the guy who played the most. Sungjae. I mean, maybe he doesn't even practice though, and he's just like he's just plays tournaments every week, and so you take those tournaments away from him, it's his lifeblood. Ah, uh, no, I mean, I'm sure. It's, Sanjay just he loves golf. He's, he has a forced layoff. I don't, I don't know if it's a great thing for him, but um, yeah, he, he's projecting well. He's kind of in that overall like balanced golfer build where you feel like you can play him on basically any course except the longest courses in the world. And so, uh, I think he's in play. I don't, I don't love him. He's not my favorite play in the range, but he's definitely in play. Uh, I like Patrick Reed a little bit below. I like Dustin Johnson a little bit above. But uh, this whole range is obviously important to target. One of the things we haven't talked too much about, but in the Millie Maker, you're going to want to be avoiding duplicates harder than you would in a different week of PGA DFS. And so if you are going to take a couple of these guys who are usually 15 to 20% owned, then you're going to need to either leave salary on the table or find single digit ownerships at your value plays. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a lot of overlap with other people who kind of go down the balanced roster build this week. 
Oh yeah, I have my I have my I have my max salary rules ready. I have my volatility rules ready. Um, I got my I got my shuffle rules ready. I I am very prepared to have uh, loads of bad but non-duplicated lineups. Yeah, probably the hardest guy for me to figure out this week is Justin Rose. Just thinking like long term, maybe not long term over the past year, but like long term, like two years, five years, like just the class of player that Justin Rose is coming off of this extended break, coming, uh, you know, with new equipment manufacturer and $9,000, really attractive price. He's 50 to one in the betting markets. Uh, Data Golf has him like 28th in the field, which is really far down there. I've got him like 20th in the field with my sort of automated like algorithmic projections. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of cases to be made to the upside um, for Justin Rose more so than the downside, at least as far as like the median projections reflect. Yeah. And, you know, no guy on the on the converse of that, you know, Rose was just a disaster heading into this force break. On the other side of that coin is Patrick Reed, who was crushing the other side of this break, you know, really was playing some of the best like, you know, really probably some of the best golf of his entire professional career, you know, stole money out of my pocket at uh, the WGC Mexico. And, you know, was was doing all of the things we associate with Patrick Reed, you know, stinging the long irons. His short game was amongst the best on tour. Theoretically, those are skill sets that work really well here. And maybe maybe more cheating opportunities for Patrick Reed with uh, with no fans in attendance. Right. No one to no one to snitch on him. (laughs) No fans at all. Yeah. Impact Reed. It'll you know, you got the guys who are errant. They're not going to be able to bounce balls off the gallery. No, no grandstands, no backstops. Yeah. So it'll, you can see some wild shots. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So wh- I, it is worth pointing out because those are two good examples. The way that the projections at Daily Roto work, which Data Golf provides us, is they basically use a decay. So every round that's progressively more recent gets a heavier value. But because these events are two, three months, four months, five months in the past for some of these guys, they're worth a lot less than they would have been otherwise if those events had been one week ago, two weeks ago. So I think that the way that they're treating basically your last round is closer to how they would typically treat a normal round that was three months ago, which does feel like the right way to do things. So they're still a little bit slanted. By nature, they're already taking a long-ish approach as far as how they're projecting these golfers. Obviously, for some individuals with like injuries and stuff, that stuff may not be accounted for. But um, I do think that they're, you know, weighing short term and long term with like the right level of balance. Um, but with Rose specifically with the equipment change and, and everything, I just think he was worth like talking about above and beyond that. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kind of let the projections do that for me. Basically, I'm not going to try and make too many stands on those things on my own. I'll probably bump a couple guys who I think might be you know good course fits uh, a little bit a little bit more one of those guys is going to be gary woodland we talk about courses where less than driver is good woodland is like him and him and stenson are like kings of less than driver hit the stinger and it's just right where you want it to go yeah yeah the 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 narrative i would say against woodland would be just with like two young kids and being at home i'll tell you it's tough being at home with two young kids as someone who's doing going through that right now but um, who, who knows? Uh, maybe you can pick up some things from practice rounds and stuff like that. I guess Scotty Scheffler is probably the, one of the only guys who has like recent form in a competitive round winning that charity event in Texas. And that has been baked into the projections. I've got him about 13th in the field. Um, the other guy that I think is really interesting this week, you talked about him a little bit, but Jason Day is priced very cheap on DraftKings. He's more of an ownership decision for me, though, because I thought he was going to be a little bit more expensive and therefore a little bit lower owned. 
he's kind of in that price range where he could be like 15% owned. And like you said, he's not a guy who typically practices a lot. He is a guy who has an exceptional short game. And so, you know, maybe that helps at this course, but a popular day in a pandemic, I mean, I don't know. Uh, no, we, uh, we, we, we are not gonna, we're not gonna worry that much about it. Right. Like I just, I, I think like Jason day, he's going to show up. He's gonna, he's going to play his golf. I will, I mean, 15% own Jason day. I, I don't think I can do it. Right. Like I just, that, that guy can't be a core part of your builds. If we're talking about guys, we think who are good course fits, uh, you know, we have Kucher right now projected for like 11, 12% owned. Um, I, I am going to be team Kucher here big time. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's probably going to come up, right? If you if you had to think about it, especially with the, the course history for Kucher. So maybe that number is a little low, but definitely a good course track for Kucher. He's the course fit. He's got a good history here as well. Uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, I think, is a pretty interesting play. Like the, the European Spieth. Uh, Spieth's done really well here. Fitzpatrick's at 8,200, a decent value. I've got him 17th in the field. I've got him sub 5% projected ownership right now. So that's definitely drawing me into him. And then Sergio Garcia is right there as well. Late addition to the field. He's $8,000 on DraftKings. So if you started your analysis a little bit too early, go back, pull that CSV down. Because, uh, yeah, Sergio's in there as well. But uh, Fitzpatrick, who stays in, Sergio, Spieth, and Day, all right there. You know, are there guys that you're definitely on or guys that you're definitely not on? Man, I kind of want to. I kind of want to use eight thousand dollars Jordan Spieth as like a legit play this week because, you know, short short game wizardry was sort of like what he did. Like he just always found ways to get himself out of trouble. Um, now, obviously, missing a ton of fairways is just going to be brutal for him, and you can't scramble yourself out of that. But, you know. I mean, if he's popular, right, like there's there's no reason to be using him. I, I think this early uh, peon that we have is probably too high, like 18% seems too high. Yeah, it's it's tough, right? People definitely love him. You're trying to find a reason to like back him, like the long layoff. He's been able to get his game back. Um, so there are like reasons for that. Um, I think it is a little bit too high. Like, early in the week, a lot of the conversation stems around course fit, course history, and then how a guy's done recently. And you don't have that this week. So people are definitely just keying in on Spieth in his course history. Seems like a price where he's playable. But if the field's on him, then especially in the Millie Maker, I'd probably have to take a pass at like, even if he's like 15% owned, um, I'd rather get like Fitzpatrick at half the ownership personally. Yeah. Uh, Fitzpatrick, a guy I really only ever play on like LOL Euro, but this is probably an event where, you know, I would be, I would be a little bit more interested in playing him. A guy I can guarantee that I will be overweight on. Cause like, if you're already buying the conceit that you're playing guys like Bryson, you're playing guys like Rory, you're playing guys like DJ who are not great course fits, but just more skilled than the field. I mean, no, no one's talking me out of an overweight stance on Hovland this week. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going to go with that, just because you got Matthew Wolf there as well. I, I knew Wolf you were going to go. Wolf will be in the player pool. That, that's, I knew you were going uh, with you one can... of those guys. Yeah. So I, that's I'm sure. probably not embracing. Like I think Rory is a course fit because he's not as one dimensional. Um, and that's one of my concerns with Matthew Wolf is just the fact that he has been more one dimensional, more driven solely by off the tee play. And I think Hovland is a little bit more balanced than that. I think he's like a top 20 stroke scene approach player in this field. So um, between those younger guys, I guess if I had to allocate exposure, probably be to Hovland over Wolf, probably taking a pass on Wolf this week. 
And the guy I'm struggling with the most is Abraham Answer, who projects as a really good value. But um, I, like he, he doesn't seem like he's a great fit either. He was a guy that was kind of riding that short-term wave coming in. And so I'm wondering, you know, Answer is going to be like a big decision this week, a guy I probably like a little bit less than the projections do. Uh, I probably will let answer ride because i think i think my my strategy this week as we're talking through it it's kind of becoming clear to me what uh you know how i'm going to be approaching things which is going to be assuming that a lot of the things that people believe about this event were a function of the strength of the field as opposed to features of the course and you know just taking guys who are going to give themselves loads of loads of birdie putts as opposed to you know playing lot, lots of Matt Fitzpatrick lots of Harris English lots of uh you know Phil even you know guys who we're expecting to get there via the wedge like I just I'm an, I'm going to play the guys who drive the ball yeah and I, I would say in that strategy article that i wrote up at daily roto which you guys can get access to if you're a premium member and if you're not you can drop the promo code speed 25 for 25 percent off in that i kind of broke down showdown strategy a little bit as well and two good things about showdown one is you know for round two round three round four we can use ownerships from the previous day to help guide our decisions and then the second thing is like those birdie makers matter a lot in showdown and i'm willing to gamble on like phil and showdown for sure even the Corey Connors type players of the world, those are great showdown options, even if they can't put it together for like four rounds to contend. As right. far as birdie chances, you're definitely right. Um, the guys like Wolf, I just worry more about like for the main slate, you know, over the course of four days, if they really can get it done. Yeah, I mean, like, and that is not only is that a function of how their golf game works, but also like these guys are all young. They don't have a ton of experience of like actually winning on the PGA Tour. And and there's also all sorts of like mentality questions on how seriously these guys have been taking their game while they've been off. I actually I actually think, again, as we're talking through it, the, the strategy is making sense to me that like these younger guys actually might have been taking golf even more seriously because a lot of these guys don't have kids. A lot of these guys are not married. Whereas like, you know, probably Kevin Kisner was just like having a great time barbecuing with his kids and his neighbors, something he had, like these guys probably haven't ever got to just hang out at the house in the summer in years. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely a really unique event from that perspective. Like Kisner was, you know, South Carolina, right. And they basically my, like my buddy in Charleston has been playing golf every day during the, the quarantine, like courses were open. Maybe he wasn't motivated to do it, but he did play that. Uh, he played like a gimmick match with uh, one of the barstool guys on the four play podcast. Um, so he's at least golfed a little bit. If you count the barstool golf as, as an outing, but it is a fair question for sure. Like the motivation of the players and just like the risk profiles. If people were approaching it logically, like people who have families should be more cautious than the people who are younger, like less exposed and don't have families. So um, you could you could see that. Uh, Billy Horschel is a guy I feel like didn't care about COVID. I feel like Billy Horschel is willing to play golf. So if he wanted to practice, I think he was out there playing. Got him around 10% projected ownership. I think he's a really good play on this course. He definitely can get really hot with the putter. He's not a guy that ever overpowers courses. So I feel like courses like this kind of bring him closer to like that mid to upper tier. And so Billy Horschel is probably one of my favorite plays below 7,500. Talk me out of playing a little bit of Phil. Talk me out of playing just a just a smidge of uh, of Phil, right? Like he was he was so good on TV during the match. You know, the, you you love to see you love to see the magic wedge shots, and uh, you know playing 
playing with Brady as a partner probably really had him thinking about his game because Brady was uh was about as bad as it gonna is it gonna get for a best ball partner. Like you go out on Sunday to go play eighteen holes, you're gambling against your buddies. You don't want to get stuck with Brady until he until he jarred it for birdie. <laughs> I'm one of the best, probably the best TV moment of quarantine to be honest. Yeah, I mean you couldn't have written that up better, Phil. I mean. He's not going to be owned. So if you want a reason in the Millie Maker to play him, like Phil's not going to be owned. Sub one percent projected ownership right now. But it seems like a disaster of a course for Phil. the 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 one thing you can hang a hat on is like his short game and sort of the magic around the greens. The fact that that does drive more deviation here than the average event, and off the tee play or driving distance drives less. But it, it just seems like a disaster course for Phil. As Phil has gotten older, somehow driving actually became like something he was gaining strokes at, right? Which, so like, <laughs> theoretically, actually, this might be taking something away that he has done well. It, it just, I can't help myself, right? I just so, can't help myself. When yeah, and that, the other argument is, like, you know, it, if he's out of contention on Saturday or Sunday, like, he's still trying to go low. And, and so he's usually the type of player that outscores his finishing position as far as drafting scoring. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of names here that I like a little bit better. Uh, Ian Poulter, I think, is pretty interesting. Of course, it's kind of like a, a grinders-type course. Um, so if I'm going to play like a guy who's probably best golf is behind them, I feel like I, I prefer Poulter slightly to Phil. Uh, Fort Knox gonna be going to be a good play, I think. What about uh, noted Daily Roto Civil War uh, target Jason Kokrak? No one, no one can decide if they love him. <laughs> Or if they hate him, I I think I'm I'm probably a little interested in playing Kokrak. Yeah, I think I'm probably a little interested too. Uh, enough times passed that maybe people have moved on from Kokrak to to find some better things. So I don't think you're seeing like the 20% owned Kokrak that we got on and off over the past past year that always uh, makes Slack extra feisty. Um, I would say in general, like you talked about Bryson, I was kind of off of him for the top end guys, but I think you can make an argument that course fit matters less for the top end guys and matters more for some of these guys that are down here as value plays. Um, and so I mean, that's uh, a little narrative, but I, I feel like that's, there's something to, to be said there where like the guys who aren't well-rounded spike on certain courses a little bit more. Um, Adam Hadwin's going to be a big decision this week. I would really like him on this course. It's just those comments he made about not being motivated to practice. Like that's something I feel like I have to take into consideration at least yeah. to dock like a point or two. What what about my boy? Noted noted take cast guest Hollywood Hoagie sitting there at 7200 was was playing very good like some of the best golf of his career before the break a course that should not penalize the fact that he's not long off the tee reward his uh reward his short game. Yeah. I I'm, I'm not a hoagie whisperer. I've i probably rostered him like two or three times in my DFS career. I definitely missed Been that. Missing out heater. on the print fest this oh, year, I buddy. I missed that heater. Yeah. Um, but so I don't know. I mean, I, nothing good or bad to say about him. Uh, some interest in Brian Harmon as far as like a guy that is a course fit, a guy that you, you're almost never playing except on this type of course. Uh, so some interest in Harmon. Then I guess like Scam Smith would be the other guy that, you know, of all courses, maybe this is a course I like him a little bit more on than, than I do on some other ones. Um, guy that's a disaster off the tee, but um, that's not going to matter quite as much this week. couple dudes down here uh, in the value range that I'm really interested in playing. Uh, Brennan Grace, definitely more than the field. Grace, kind of a grinder, not a guy who gains a ton of strokes off the tee, should make up his strokes elsewhere. think he will probably be under 3% owned in most of the contests. I play 
Um, Eric Van Royen, I, I am into. Not if he gets into chalk territory. I thought I would be interested in playing Corey Connors, and then I saw that we had him projected for 14% ownership, which will pretty much mean that he won't be in my builds at all. I just, I, I don't think you can justify playing super chalk cheap golfers. Yeah, I haven't got the chance to listen to it yet, but I was assuming that like Mayo bet him or something or Feinberg because you don't typically get. I, the... I just listened, and I don't think that happened, but they, yeah. it could have. But he does he does always pop in like the weighted stat models, and that's a huge driver of ownership as well. Sites like Fantasy National have made that really popular analysis and stuff that we reference on this pod too, just to find talking points about guys. But um, yeah, Connor's at at that chalk level, especially in the Millie Maker. That's probably a pass for me, unless you're pairing him with extremely contrarian options up above. Uh, other guy, I guess we talked a little bit about like splits type golfers. Man, Bubba Watson's going to be one percent owned, but he gains all of his strokes off the tee. So. Like, even at 1% ownership, even though I know he would enter, like, MME runs with how I normally build, I feel like I have to pass on Bubba Watson, and I just wanted to bring him up as a point to kind of reinforce that guys who are one-dimensional, if that one dimension is off the tee play, I'm probably not super interested this week. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's likely fair. Okay, a couple actual stone punts who uh, are going to make their way into my build. Already mentioned Rafa Cabrera-Bayo earlier in the show. Uh, HV3 just for the birdie potential. Um, Sung Kang probably makes it in. What do you make of a guy? This is actually a great theory question for this week. What do we make of Brendan Todd, who had this long stretch of being like one of the worst players on tour, who like somehow still had his card, then was playing hot fire into the break, but might have lost all of that magic? Yeah, um, that, that's it's a hard question. I'll usually just ride with the model on someone like that where... I can't like explain away the poor stretch or the heater. And usually yeah. if there's something you're trying to adjust, you want to at least have something to explain it. And I, I just got nothing with Todd. So uh, I'll probably just, just let it ride there. There are guys that I like in this range that I would rather like talk myself into for course fit reasons, I guess like Ches Revy. Uh, I don't know if he'll end up owned this week, but at 7,100, it's a really cheap price. If he was on his game, that's this is the exact type of course that you would expect him to be able to contend or even win at. Um, and we don't know if he's on his game. So that's a guy, a course fit is there. Man, there's there's old man value this week, too. We're, we're going to have to contemplate whether or not you can roster a close to minimum price Steve Stricker or $7,100 Jim Furyk. Uh, Are you into either old man? Spoiler alert. For sure. <laughs> I mean, imagine imagine not playing Stricker and the one event where, like, theoretically, he actually is not going to be just disqualified from t twenting like at, from the moment he tees off. You got You got to take the value with Stricker this week. Stricker, uh, Von Taylor, um, I, I think Adam Adam Shank, my boy. I mean, the disrespect on Adam Shank. He's literally minimum salary. Yeah. I- I mean that that's pretty cheap, but Shank is more of a more of a showdown play if I go that deep. There are guys that I want to talk myself into, right? Ryan Moore, another guy that if you just like strip everything about recent form off off the table, like doesn't this seem like we talked about who did well here, like Kevin Na, Zach Johnson, Matt Cooch, like doesn't that seem like a course where like Ryan Moore has at least potential to pop? Yeah, I mean I think I think that probably is fair um do we do we want to talk about uh, some one and done strategy here real quick before we get out of here uh, uh yeah i mean uh, to be honest i haven't looked close enough at the rules to know for like gups corner one and done how they restructured the segments 
um, which obviously oh, yeah, has, I like, that either. has like a big impact on the overall strategy. I think generally for one and done, like the, the things that we're big fans of is if you're live in the segment, like you've already picked up an early win, then you you want to burn some of those top top end guys. Um, and if not, then you want to save the prize pool or like the, the top end guys for tournaments with larger prizes. Um, I guess if you were concerned about like a second wave coming in the fall or something, maybe you just burn the top end guys now and just go after like the next five tournaments. That would be one potential so much angle theory to be had there. Yeah. Yeah. That would be one potential angle. Um, yeah. I, I think it looking like, you know, really like guys who are going to be, people are going to be selecting them. People are going to be betting them. I think Webb and Xander will be really popular here. You know, guys, you're probably not using at any of the, any of the theoretical majors, any of the WGCs. Um, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't actually have a guy. I, really like here i would maybe use morikawa actually and and try and get a guy who's going to be used but not super popular and i would like some exposure to him uh like because kind of the way i think of it every week is you know you have your exposures in dfs you have the guys you're betting outright you're betting t20s uh, and then you're one and dones and i think like the best way to get exposure to morikawa would actually probably be the one and done in terms of like the opportunity cost yeah. yeah, I actually like that 50 to 1 price on Morikawa like we talked about at the top of the show. So I think he's okay for now, right? But he is one of the names that I think if I was just going to play this tournament like straight up um, in one and done, Morikawa would be one of those guys. Webb would be another. But like you said, maybe you save Webb for the Wyndham Championship. Um, you'd have to look at the schedule make sure that if was going to If go they down. even have it this year, right? Exactly. And then uh, Kucher would be another guy that you feel like if you're looking for like top 20 bucks with some upside... It's the type of course, if Kucher's going to win on one, it's like this type of course. And you have like at least a Kucher style safety net bit in there. So that would kind of be my short list as far as final one and done selections. Probably with Morikawa, the more conviction play, just because he's the guy I'm more interested in betting outright. Yeah, I think general strategy notes, treat your lineups this week sort of like NASCAR or something. Like you just, just assume a level of volatility that we are just going to be unable to control. There's so much unknown that, uh, you know, falling into certainty traps, I think, is worse this week than in a normal week of PGA, and it's pretty bad in PGA to begin with. Yeah, I, de- I definitely agree with that. And if it's if you can't make contrarian rosters this week, then you might as well hang up your PGA DFS shoes just because yeah. there, there's so much unknown, and it matters a ton anyways. And then you have the largest prize pools here, the largest fields for the Millie Makers, so there's even more reason to get extra contrarian just to get towards the top of those. Um, I mean, projected ownership cap, like I would probably run mine with like anywhere from 75 to 90% total projected ownership. And in the Millie Maker, I would probably skew closer to that 75 level unless I was leaving salary on the table alongside it, in which case maybe 90 would work with some salary on the table. Um, I guess the other thing as far as strategy, I do think qualitative information could matter this week. I think guys that talk about showing up and being rusty, not having practice a lot, I think that stuff matters. I mean, it matters as much as if they were playing like a, an active competitive golf tournament a week or two weeks ago, which obviously nobody was. So I'm going to try to dig in and capture some of that qualitative information and try to make some adjustments to projections. Because like you said, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with this and it's a harder event to project anyways, just given the style of course that we're talking about. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. We will uh, be back next week, hopefully. All right. Should be good.
Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.